The Holy Gospel today is from St. Mark, the seventh chapter. When the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are other, many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. The Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but they eat with defiled hands? He said to them, Well did Isaiah prophecy of you, hypocrites, as he wrote, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. You leave the commandments of God and hold to the tradition of men. Jesus said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother. And he said, Whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. Thus you make void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. This is the gospel of our Lord. And speaking about children, this this week we have babies being born to us in our in our growing congregation. It's kind of fun to watch how God is, just keeps bringing His family home. And um, so a baby was born, a little girl, and she, um, Maeve, I think is her name, M A E V E Brizel. So Sue and Bri, uh, Bob Brizel, it's um, big mug, you know, six foot six lineman for the for the NFL guys. He he was presented his little girl, and it was a beautiful thing that I got to see. Um, a tired and exhausted mother in the bed here, mom standing next to her, and this precious little girl, the pictures of him. I mean, his hand is like five times my size, and he's got this little tender baby right here. And he's, he's just pouring, just the gratitude in that, the life placed in his hands. And that's the place to start our, our time to talk today, is to start with that idea. The beauty of holding children in our hands for the first time. Um, this came to my mind at, at weddings. Um, I typically, I'm always up front standing about on the, on the right-hand side. The groom's on the left-hand side. And we're getting ready for a bride to enter the place. And as we're waiting for the bride to come, he hasn't seen her all day. I generally about this time I'll whisper I'll whisper to him I said she's going to look amazingly beautiful today there's going to be two days in your life where she's going to be beautiful like this one's today when you see her today most beautiful woman in your life forever just bow that's the goodness of your bride coming but the second day is going to come when you're sweaty strung out exhausted no makeup no shine woman 
is placing her, your child from her hands into your hands for the first time. That day, she will be more beautiful than today. And you'll know it when it happens. You can tell me about it when it happens later on. And it's true. The day that they put their child, this woman has done all the work. Guys, we're just spectators. We're cheering you on, ladies. But really, we, don't, we, can, we, can, we can try to bring you food if you have cravings and do all that kind of stuff. Massage your back if you're hurt, whatever. But really, you got the work. And the day that you've labored so hard and you've provided your, this gift of God to us, wow, what a thing. Beautiful it is. Now, as you're thinking about that, now bring that bridge that in. That's of God. That is of God. That's, that, if you want to know anything about our Heavenly Father, think about family. He put this whole creation for us. Think about it. He sets the stars in their orbits out of love for us. He puts our planet, this earth, a certain distance from the sun so it's warm enough, but it's not too warm. And it's cool enough, but not too cold. What a gift that is that the God who made all of this would put our earth in exactly that and, and cover it with water and then land out of it. And he blessed it for that. He's, he's preparing this for us, much like parents are preparing to bring their children home. They nest up for months. It's crazy watching ladies nest up for their children coming home. Just get out of their way, right? So on this, God's preparing this creation for us. And then he splits the plants and the animals and the birds and the life and the oceans. He has all of it ready. And then when the time is right, in his image and his likeness, think about the children born into your lives and your family's lives and your friends' lives. You'll sit back and you'll talk when the baby's coming out. Oh, that looks like dad or that looks like mom or it looks like the post office man or something like that. But, <laughs> thanks for laughing at that. But the, the, you know, or it looks like grandma or it looks like grandpa or something. But you just, you're saying the resemblance, right? The resemblance of this child to you. Well, God, he took the dirt and he made us in his image and his likeness. That's what Genesis tells us. In his image and his likeness, he, he made us. So when he looks at us, he sees images of himself. What a beautiful thing that is. And then he knew that this Adam was not enough. That Adam did not, everything in the, every, all the animals had partners. They all had counterparts, but Adam didn't have that. And he says, not a problem. He causes sleep. He takes something out of Adam. He breathes life into it. And now there is a woman for man. And together, what a beautiful thing this is. One, they're made in the image and likeness of their Father in heaven. That's the first gift. But the next gift is, is in each other, God is going to entrust His children. The safest place in all of creation for God to put His next child into is into the womb of a mother. The man to protect, the mother to provide. It's this combination that's powerful and it's blessed and it echoes of heaven. And so he puts life into the womb and there it's loved. Women can love like guys can't love. We can't out-eat and we can't out-love a woman. It's just the way it is. And into that womb, God puts this life. And so he's blessed this. And this image of family comes from there. The challenge is with this, this, this part of the creation is that there was a Satan character. And we've got to figure this, you know, we'll learn more about that later on as we enter out of this child phase. But Satan entered the picture and he didn't go after the man, he went after the lady. And the first thing that he challenged was God's word. When he approached the lady, he, he inspired doubt. 
in God's word, the very essence that spoke and there was creation, he said to her, did God really say that? Did the father really say those things to you? And instead of trusting God's word, instead of believing God's word, she doubted. She started a little doubt entered her mind and she wondered, did he really say that? And then the next thing that Satan says, it's, it's really, it's a one-two punch. You doubt the word and the source of the word, and now you put in an alternative. And the alternative was to say that you weren't beautifully and perfectly made in the image and likeness of your Father in heaven. This something about the woman was not enough. And in there, he said, if you eat of this fruit, you'll be more. Well, who said they, who made that? That's a lie. You don't need to be more. You're already wonderful. How can you make wonderful more wonderful? You can't. It was enough. But Satan put a lie. Women, you're not enough. If you just eat this fruit, you'll be like God. You'll be more. Who says I need to be more? Well, it happened. And she ate. You hear that? She ate. It didn't get worn like perfume. It didn't get put on like lotion. It wasn't like clothes. It was consumed. It was put inside the body. And then from there, it went from generation to the next. We have been cast away from the house of God ever since. What a sad thing it is. Think about the tragedy in a family. How crushing it is when a mother and a father have to tell a child that they no longer can be in the house because they're sinful, because they're destructive. It breaks the heart of the parents. Every time our children do something that hurts themselves, we hurt more than ever. Every time they shine, we shine with them. But when they hurt, we hurt. And so from that point on, there's a rescue mission. God does not want His children away from Him. God does not want us ever separated from Him. Ever. Not today, not tomorrow, ever. He wants His children coming home. And so He says, I got a plan. I'm going to send my son. And He's going to pay the price on that cross so that they can come home. When they look to get the punishment that they deserve, I'm not going to see them. I'm going to see Jesus in front of them. And they'll come in. And that's what happened. That's part of this whole thing. God wants His kids home. Now, with that context going on, we get to our gospel lesson. We've had six or seven, seven weeks now of this highlight ministry in this region of the world, Galilee. It's near the, um, the Ga- Lake Galilee, but there's a region of Galilee. And in there, for these seven weeks, we've seen some really neat things as a church. We've seen Jesus heal people. Only God can heal this way. No modern science can do it. No science then could even come close to doing it. We don't even understand how it even happened now. But He healed people that only God can heal. Jesus did it. Whether they liked Jesus or not, whether they trusted Jesus or not, the reality was Jesus healed. His friends saw it. His enemies saw it. It was a reality. He healed people that we can't explain. He um, had a little person who had died come from the dead. A parent, think about here, you know, the family situation again. You got a mom and dad who just lost their little girl, about 12-year-old. She had been sick, she had been sick, getting sicker, more and more sick, and she was going to die. Dad runs to Jesus, please help me, help my little girl. Jesus finally gets there, and it was too late, their little girl died. And Jesus just reached out and says, little girl, get up. And the little girl wasn't dead anymore. He restored her body, her soul, and she was alive. Talitha Kumi, little girl, rise. He did that. They couldn't explain it. That was part of what we've remembered 
A beautiful thing. So not only was he, he healing people and raising people from the dead and things that we can't explain, he was teaching like no one else could teach. Almost everybody I know uses the authority of a book or the authority of someone before them as their source of authority. It's not me, it's somebody else, it's somebody else. And the Jewish people in this time the same way. Rabbis took their codes off of somebody, off of somebody, maybe back to Moses, maybe back to somebody else. But they always had their authority as somebody else. But when Jesus spoke, he was the one that gave the prophets the words. He was, he's God. Wearing, I mean, it's amazing how that is. But he's the one that gave the word. So when Jesus spoke and he taught, he taught as the authority, undisputed authority. He didn't make reference to anybody else because he's the one that gave everybody else those words. So he taught with authority. He calms the storms. Now, not only is he doing the things that ha- happen to our bodies, he's happening things in nature. Raging winds, nighttime storms, and all this sort of stuff. And he says, be still, be quiet, be calm. And like that, it's done. Like a sheet of glass, calm. He's in charge of all creation. He's feeding them. In the last three weeks, we've had the feeding. 20,000 people on the side of a hill. 5,000 men, 5,000 wisdom. We've got a bunch of kids. You can have up to 20,000 people easily in this place. And they were fed bread. And they were fed fish until they were full. Whether they understood Jesus or not, God just loved his family. And on that day, he says, I got this. And he provides a meal for everybody. This is the pinnacle of his ministry, folks. This is, you know, I was in Colorado a couple weeks ago. This is like a 14, that's a 15,000 foot mountain in Colorado. I mean, there's no peak higher than this for his ministry. He is at the top. He has had all these miracles. All these people have been fed. All this stuff's going on. And they absolutely want him to be king. Jesus, be king. They even want him to be They, they tell him, he says, no. At this point, some will argue that this will be the point that he starts to go to the cross. Because from this pinnacle, when they all shout to him, be king, he goes away. He says, no. He sends the disciples to the other side and he sends the people home. I'm not that kind of king. I'm not here just to take care of your broken bones. And I'm not here just to feed your bellies. I'm not here to help you get rid of the Roman Empire. I'm not here to establish this stuff. I'm here for another purpose. I'm going to be bread of life. When you eat me, it's going to be the counteraction of eating that fruit and that sin that came in. When you bring me into it, it's a different kind of a healing. And from that moment, he sends him away. And his popularity, if he went from the peak of popularity, from this point on, he's starting to diminish. Oh, Jesus sent us home. We didn't get another free meal. Ooh, you know, grumbling here, grumbling there. Now, it doesn't change his ministry necessarily. But <coughs> excuse me, but <coughs> we got to know that as his popularity is de- decreasing, public attacks are going to be increasing. And that's what we read today. The best of the best are coming out of Jerusalem. The teachers in the schools, the teachers in the synagogues, the, the, the powerful ones, the, the reputable ones, anybody who has authority, they're now being sent out and the opposition is like, being, this, is the, this is the A-team opposition. So as soon as he's coming off this mountain, people are going to be sent away. His popularity is going to diminish. And right now, the first in-line attack's going to come. They're going to try to discredit him. And all that's left are 12. Because the hundreds and the thousands, they all left him. When he said, I'm the bread of life, they couldn't take it. They abandoned him. We remembered that last week. So in this progression, he went from the peak of the mountain with thousands and thousands chasing after him, now to just 12 staying loyal. 
and everybody else going away. And on top of that, a whole powerful group coming out of Jerusalem that's going to try to attack him and decrease him and, and um, diminish him. So now in this place, in that context, we have religion. Pharisees and scribes had religion. Oh my gosh, they were good at religion. They were masters at religion. Jesus was crushing their religion, and they didn't like it. Jesus wasn't about religion. Jesus was about relationship. Restoring kids to their dad, to their family. So the rituals for these Pharisees and scribes, they became religion. They thought that they could clean all of their life. Their goal was to try to live holy lives. And they thought that they could do it by washing their hands. And I mean, they took Ten Commandments, and at the end of it, they had 613 codes. 613 codes. They thought that they could work their way into something. And it was a lie. They could never do that. Inside, they knew it was a lie, but they just hadn't gotten there yet. You know, there's a, there's a collection of teachings called the Mishnah. And in this Mishnah, chapters upon chapters about how to explain and interpret things. There are 30, listen to this, 30 chapters telling the Jewish people how to wash their pots, their pans, and their cleaning things. 30 chapters. Even after 30 chapters, they couldn't wash their insides. Jesus knew it. He's talking to them about it. They thought that if they enforced many codes, they could move from defiled to being holy people. Um, and you think about the idea of rituals and religion and traditions. Even now we have it. Am I wearing the right color? Am I wearing the right style? Are we wearing the right clothes? Are we combing our hair on the right side? Did we brush our teeth? Are the chairs set just right? Are the decorations of the church too much or not enough? Is the music being too, played too fast, too slow, too old, too new? Are the voices right? Think about all the little things that we got in traditions. What kind of grapes are used in the wine? What kind of bread's being used? Oh my gosh. Even now, humans can make a religion out of traditions. And that's not what Jesus was after. Um, what about the heart? What about the heart? Because in the end, they'd never be good enough. And the evidences of this is when the Jewish people came out to see Jesus, they didn't notice his miracles. They didn't notice his loving and his goodness to people who even didn't like him. They didn't notice the forgiveness and the expression of compassion that was put in him. They didn't see that. They noticed unclean hands. Of all the things to notice about Jesus and those following him, of all the things that they're going to see, they saw unclean hands. They weren't there because their hearts were seeking after God. They were there and they're pointing out all the sins of everybody else. And there are people in our world that do that day in and day out. They're always highlighting the sins of somebody else rather than their own. Because it's easy for me to think about how you're not good enough. And as long as the world's thinking about how you're not good enough, I'm safe. I'm okay because you're not calling out my sins. And so let's get, you, let's get the whole world thinking about everybody else's sins and not your own. And that's what they're doing. They're showing up and they're, they're highlighting how they're somehow or another clean. And the disciples there have unclean hands. Focus on the sins of others. Focusing on the traditions and the rituals that keep them in their positions of power and somewhat comfort. But the lie's still there. They know inside, in their hearts, that they're, they, they just might not be enough. They don't have any assurance of God's love. 
They only have a quest to work. So Jesus, into that context, this undisputed evidence of all that He is, being the Son of God, He has a lesson and He teaches them that it's about a heart. It's not about your work. It's about my heart for you and your heart's response. Now, there was a person who was a Pharisee, like one of those ones that came out, who, who met his father, who had experiences of heaven. He was able to see Jesus in the Spirit, and his eyes were open. His heart was, his name was Saul. He had watched the stoning of one of the Christians named Stephen, and later God said, you're going to follow me, and he became Paul. And this is some of the words that Paul wrote. And this is along the lines of a Jewish person working for themselves to be righteous. He writes in the book of Romans, For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil that I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. What a wretched man I am. Who would rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God. He delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's the Pharisee's answer. He wasn't listening about or pointing out the sins of anybody else. He didn't even know there was anybody else in the room. He just knew that there was a God and he was, he was in need of God's love and mercy and that was what he spoke about. Wretched man that I am. Didn't compare about anybody else. I'm not as wretched as so-and-so. It, 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 no. Wretched man that I am. Who will save me? He said, Jesus. And he gives us another summary of his words in Ephesians. Beautiful book, first chapter. Highlight the whole chapter first part of it. He says, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has blessed us from the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Jesus. For He chose us in Him before creation of the world to be a holy and blameless people in His sight. In love, He predestined us for adoption through Jesus in accordance with His pleasure and will to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the one He loves. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavishes on us. With all wisdom and understanding, He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on the earth. That's the reason and purpose from the very beginning. He saw it in the beginning. I want my family home, my beloved family, and my son Jesus is going to bring him home. And this is my plan. And when you receive him, it's not like lotion on the outside. It's from the very inside depth, the place that all that sin corrupted has now been uncorrupted in Jesus. Somewhere in there we said it's not about religion. It's not. It's about a relationship. And that whole gift so far is that they would know Jesus. That simple. As much as a, as a mother and a father will come to know and hold on to their child, that child will come to know and hold on to their parents. That is knowing. That unity, that blessed 
Blessed place, beautiful place is unity. That's knowing. And that's what Jesus came to do. To have us know our Father in heaven through knowing Him, He can bring us home. He is our way. He is our truth and He is our life. And until someone defeats Him, until someone outshines Him with miracles and love and compassion and what He did, He's the champion. No one in the history of our planet has ever done what He does. And He's God. It's that simple. Know Him. And then the last thing we do is we make Him known. That's why they wrote this book for us. That's why we come every Sunday and we remember two things. Know Jesus. His love, His forgiveness, His power to do all things for you because you can't clean yourself. Let Him on the inside. And then from the inside, He'll do His work. And then from that place, you'll be infected with His love and you'll want to make Him known. You'll want to let everybody else in the world know this good news too. We are loved and we're forgiven and it's good. I'll stop talking at that. We're going to get amen.